0: This is Daf Kaf Dalid in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. We are on Daf Kaf Gimel, Amud Bet, about 17 lines from the bottom of the Amud, with the new Mishnah. K'etzad bodkinat Aidim. How do we interrogate the witnesses to determine that their testimony is valid for the purposes of consecrating the new moon? Sug Shaba Rishon, the first uh, couple of witnesses that enter, Bodkinot Rishon. We take them first and we interrogate them. We take the older of the two. We ask the person, the first witness. We, we interrogate them separately. We take the first one. We say, how did you see the moon exactly? Was it before or after the sun? In other words, did you see it uh, go down in the sky before or after the sun? Did it seem to be trailing the sun or it seemed to come coming in front of the sun? Was it to the north? or to the south relative to the path of the sun in the sky? How high did it seem in the sky? And what, what direction did it seem to uh, tilt in, in, the, in its path? And how wide was it? If he said that, it, that the moon was before the uh, before the sun, in other words, that the that the moon was in front, and was setting first, and clearly this person did not... Uh, see what he claims to have seen because that is not how the path of the moon and the path of the sun work. And so it's impossible to have seen the moon go down ahead of the sun and therefore uh, his testimony would not be valid. (laughs) But presumably, assuming that the first witness is accepted and he answers all the questions right, then we take the second one about kinoto, if we find that both of them say the same thing and everything is lined up, so and that means that their testimony is acceptable and is, is upheld so the other pairs of witnesses that show up to testify about the moon, we also ask them some general questions not because we actually needed their testimony anymore because we had the first group, but so they won't be disappointed and discouraged but so then in the future they come again, in other words if they if we didn't question them at all, they didn't have the opportunity to say anything, they'd say we went for nothing and next time when they see the moon, it could be that nobody else did, could be that they would be the first but they wouldn't arrive because they said last time we went and they didn't even ask us anything, we went for nothing. So in order to make them feel that they've done something important, we ask them some questions even though we don't need to. The says, When it says in front of the moon and it, say, it says in front of the sun rather, and it says to the north that's re- the the um, that really this is the same thing as Rashi explains. The fnechaman litzfona is the same thing, because if you're looking at the path of the of the sun in the sky, it's moving towards the north. It's moving from uh, it's moving from uh, obviously east to west in the, in the sky, but it but due north. And um, Rashi explains in the first Rashi and the Mishnah in detail how exactly the paths of the sun and the moon. Uh, go the the sun doesn't just go straight from the uh, west to the east, but it actually goes uh, it, it, there is a tilt from uh, it goes around from the south to the north as well in a curve in an arc so if the uh, if the moon is ahead of the sun that 's the same thing as saying that it 's to the north of the sun. And saying that it's behind the sun is the same thing as saying, uh, that means to the south. What it, he, but the question is, is not whether the moon is in front of or behind the sun in the path of travel. The, que, the question was whether the whether the dark part of the moon is facing the sun or away from the sun. If he says that it's facing the sun, they didn't say anything because obviously the part of the moon the, the sliver of the moon that you see in the new moon is what is, uh, is, what is uh, facing the sun, not the dark part of the moon. The dark part of the moon that you can't see is always away from the sun. And, uh, and, and so if he said otherwise, if he said the opposite, that the bright part was for, further from the sun and the dark part was facing the sun, then we know that the person did not see what they claimed to have seen. As um, Rabbi Yochanan said, what does the pasuk mean? When it says that um, authority and fear is with him, he makes peace in the heavens, talking about Hashem. So what does that mean? It means that the sun never saw the dark side of the moon, the dark half of the moon. And it never saw the uh, the the curved part of the uh, the inner part of the rainbow. The reason why it never saw the dark part of the moon is so as not to embarrass the moon, so to speak, that the sun should see the darkness of the moon where it's not illuminated. And why did it never see the uh, curve of the inner side of the curve of the rainbow? Because, because if it were faced the other way, in other words, if the rainbow were faced in a U shape and it were faced uh, uh, the other way, so it would look as if, Hashem was holding a uh, the rainbow as a type of bow to shoot arrows down and um that would look as if Hashem was uh uh the it would look as if the sun rather was using the uh the was using the rainbow as a bow to shoot arrows. So as she says, a chamazotimira it would be as if the sun were using the rainbow as a bow to shoot arrows down on Earth if the, if the rainbow faces the other way. So it faces the way that it does, not in a U-shape, but in an upside-down U, so that way it doesn't look as if it is a bow in the hands of the sun. And that means that the dark part of the moon always faces away from the sun, that was the point, point. and therefore, uh, because of course the sun is what's illuminating the uh, moon, and and uh and therefore, if the person who describes the moon describes it otherwise, then we know he's not telling the truth or he didn't see accurately. Now, Now, in one bright that says that if the person said that the moon was to the north of the sun, then it's, then it's good. If he says to the south, it's no good. And it says in the bright to the opposite, and the other one, it says, no, that to the south is correct and to the north is not correct. It depends what season. In the, as Rashi says, that in the summertime the sun sets at the end of the west to the northern side, and that would mean that it's to the, the most to the north. Um, however, in the uh, and 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 that would mean that the uh, uh, that the moon would be to the south of it. However in the uh, shorter days, so that's when the sun actually sets more due south, and in those days, the, the moon would be more due north, and it would be accurate to say that the moon was to the north of the sun. In those cases, it depends on a lot of astronomical knowledge that the Chazal had, that they, they used painstaking observation and calculation to determine all of these things, and they knew exactly what to expect at different seasons, different times, in terms of the path of the moon and the sun in the sky. And of course, Rashi goes into great detail here, um, describing the orbits and the relationships to one another and how the light shines, where it shines, and how it goes. And the Rambam also in great detail gives us the astronomical knowledge, but it's beyond the ability uh, of a uh Yomishior to really contain all of that knowledge. Um, it becomes very confusing and it's difficult to visualize sometimes, but we can understand that the Chachamim knew that in certain seasons, one pattern would be visible, in certain seasons, another pattern would be. And depending upon uh, what season it was, we knew what to expect from witnesses who were giving us accurate information. The the taught, one said that it was two mardaot uh, high in the sky. Um, a mardat is like a, uh, um, a type of a... Uh, was used for guiding cattle So, but the main point is that it's a certain amount of uh, length so one says it's two one says it's three that's still close enough that we would say that they're probably seeing the same thing but they're both estimating one is rounding down one is rounding up they saw the same thing if one says three and one says five height in terms of the height in the sky so that means that that we would say that if one said three and one said five, that means that they didn't see the same thing. That's for sure. However, if somebody else comes along and says that they saw three, or somebody else comes along and says they saw it was five mar da'ot, high in the sky, then we would uh, combine them with that other person because it's not that we can say that which one is right and which one is wrong. It's just that they can't be put together because one is saying too significant of a discrepancy between what each of them say that they saw. We saw it through the water, uh, meaning that we saw it... Uh, uh it so the the reflection of the moon on the water or uh or we saw you know we saw it through a uh, some kind of a uh, glass um like a uh, glass uh uh, container. We saw it through the clouds. So we cannot, um we cannot have that. That's not good testimony. That doesn't count as seeing the moon directly. Or even if they saw this, even if they say they saw part of it uh, through water and part of it directly, or part of it th- was covered by the clouds and part of it they saw with the naked eye, and part of it was through a, con- a glass container and part of it was not. Um, part of it was direct. Still, um, we would say that they can they cannot give this testimony. So, Hashda Rashi says, "Kulo Amratlo bay So, if they said, in other words, it makes sense that uh, uh, if if you already told me that if they even saw the entirety of the moon, but they saw it through a lantern glass or they saw it through the cloud, that's not good. So, obviously, if they only saw half of the moon through the cloud, it's not going to be good. So, the Gemara says, "No, what it means to say." Is that meaning that it doesn't mean that they only saw half the moon and the half that they saw was through something else? Then, of course, if seeing the whole moon through the cloud doesn't count, then seeing only half the moon through the cloud definitely doesn't count. But if and uh, what it means is that even though they saw partially not obscured by a cloud and partially yes, still that's considered to be. Uh, that's considered to be a Not a good uh, seeing of the moon So uh, so if they say, If they say we, They said they saw it And then they didn't see it So they cannot testify about it So what does that mean They saw it and then they didn't see it So it says You mean that they have to look at it Every second from the moment That they initially noticed the moon till the time they testified They have to see it every second What do you mean we saw it And then we didn't see it uh, I it, it's possible you saw it and then you weren't looking again. What, he mean, what it means is, is that they saw it initially and then they went back to look and check again and they couldn't see it. Okay? They cannot testify because maybe they were, their mind was just playing tricks on them. They weren't sure if they really saw it or not. They wanted to double check and now they can't find it. So that seems to suggest that uh, maybe they didn't really see it. Tama. Because it's possible that it wasn't actually the... Uh, what you saw was the roundness of a uh, white cloud. You didn't really see the... Um, you didn't really see the uh, the moon. But you saw something that was really a cloud. So uh, uh, so that's why you saw it but once, and then when you looked at the sky again, you didn't see it anymore. So therefore, that can, they cannot testify because... They only saw it for a moment, and what they saw could have just been a mirage. It was not really the moon after all. The Mishnah says, <laughs> "Rosh bedinamam The head of the bed then says, "Mikudash uchalamamuni <laughs> alchav And everybody else says, "Mikudash mikudash." When they declare the new moon, whether the new moon appeared in its time or not in its time, we still do kiddush hakodesh. In other words, there is two, as we've learned before. There are two times that the Rosh Chodesh can fall out. A month can be either 29 days or 30 days. On the 30th day, that 30th day of a month could either be now the first day of the new month or it could be the 30th day of the previous month and the new month will start the next day on day 31. So whether the moon appeared on the night of the 30th, which would mean that the 30th now turns into day one of the new month and the previous month becomes 29th day. Or it was Shilobizmano, which means that the 30 days passed and we saw it on the night of the 31st. Okay, or we didn't see it, but by default, the 31st becomes the first day of the new moon because there's no later that it could be. We still say, the Bedin says, Mekudash, Mekudash, the Rosh Chodesh is sanctified. Rabbi Eliezer Baro says, If it didn't appear in its proper time, meaning if it didn't appear on the 30th day, then by default, automatically, the thir- 31st day, becomes Rosh Chodesh because it can't be any later than that. So since it's automatic and the Betin is not really necessary to declare the Rosh Chodesh if we pass the 30 days without seeing the moon, we know that it has to be the 31st day. So, um so therefore the bet doesn't really have to do anything because they're not really they don't really have to say anything because they're not really doing anything that's what Rabbi Eleazar Rabbi Tzedok says as opposed to the Tanakh Kamah who says that whether it was automatic by default or it was by testimony we still have them say Mikudash Mikudash the Gemara says Rosh Bet-Din b'gule. where do we get this from I'm Rabbi Ben Shaul I'm, a Rabbi, I'm a Rabbi that's Rabbi Chia Bar Gamda in the name of Rabbi Yosei Ben Shaul in the name of Rabbi Yim Zav that Moshe Told the holidays of Hashem to the people. mikudash, which shows you that uh, that the head of the bedin has to say mikudash. In other words, he informed the people of the schedule of the calendar. Moshe Rabbeinu was the head of the bedin, and uh, and since it says mikra eikudash, him name he says it means two times. Oh no, that's really for the next uh, for the next week. But that, right, so that's the. Uh, the point is that we see from the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu had to declare the holidays that the Rosh Baitin does it. People say, Mikudash, Mikudash. How do we get that? It says that you should declare them Instead of otam them, say atem you, meaning not only does the Beit Din declare mikudash mikudash, but the people say mikudash mikudash also to, uh, because they, atem you, have to participate in the process as well. It says these are my holidays. Uh, that, uh, that means they should say, um, mikudash, Mikudash, oh, I'm sorry. They should declare my holidays because it's The hem really in the pasuk refers to the holidays themselves. These are my holidays. Hem yom but he's saying it means they, meaning the people, should declare the holidays. And how do they participate in declaring the holidays? By saying mikudash mikudash after the Betim. Mikudash, Mikudash is in elamali. Why What do they have to say it twice? Dikhti, because it says Mikra'i Kodash, And as Rashi says, Mikra'i is plural. That means that they have to say the word Mikudash twice to declare the new moon. And declaring the new moon essentially fixes the holiday schedule because all the holidays are dependent on the proper uh, establishment of the new months. Rabbi Elizabeth If it doesn't appear on the 30th, we don't say anything. The Betten doesn't have to say anything. Tanya, palimo, In Pelimo says the opposite. He says when it falls out on the thirtieth, which is the time we expected after the 29th, it's called Bismano, and the thirtieth day becomes the first day of Rosh Chodesh. Then they don't have to say Mikudash Mikudash. But if it gets delayed to the thirty first, then they have to say it. Rabbi Elazar bar Yishimon Rabbi Elazar says Ben Kach Ben Kach en He says we never say Mikudash Mikudash. Shenemar veKidda Shtemech not a chamishim because it says you should. Sanctify the 50th year the year of the Ovel. Adam Which means the only thing that has a kiddush where we say Mikudash is the 50th year the year of the Ovel. The years get a kiddush, but not months. The month doesn't get kiddush, a to say mikudash, According to Rabbi Elizabeth, you never say it. So so far we have four opinions. The opinion that says we always say Mikudash Mikudash. In other words, the din declares Mikudash, and the people say Mikudash Mikudash. Rabbi Elezar, Rabbi, Rabbi Tzadok, who says, if it falls out in its proper time we say Mikudash. If it falls out by default on the 31st day of the previous month, then we don't have to say Mikudash. According to Plimo, it's the opposite. If it falls out on the, in its proper time, you don't have to say anything. If it gets deferred, since that's the unusual case, gets deferred, it's so to be considered unusual. It's, it's It's a longer month. Then uh, the minimum, so then they have to say Mikudash, Mikudash. Uh, that's Plimo's view. And then you have Rabbi, Rabbi Rabbi Shimon who says, you never have to say Mikudash, Mikudash. That's only something that we do for the Shnatash, uh, for the yovel, But we don't do that for, uh, for the months. Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Tzedok Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Tzedok is the one that we follow that when it comes out on the 30th day we say Mikudash when it comes out on the 31st day we don't say anything we actually learned this already because it says in an upcoming peric that if the bet and the entire Jewish people saw the moon and they, they interrogated the witnesses and they didn't have a chance to declare Mikudash since they didn't declare that it was Rosh Chodesh on that day which was the 30th day it gets pushed up to the 31st How is it me'ubar? Me'ubar in mikudash. though it says me'ubar, but not mikudash. Meaning that we don't say mikudash, mikudash for that day because it pushed, it got pushed up to the thirty-first day. If it had been on the thirtieth day, which is the earliest day that Rosh Chodesh could fall out, so then we would have said mikudash, mikudash. But the fact it says it's me'ubar, not mikudash, that means that the thirty-first day becomes Rosh Chodesh without saying mikudash, which is exactly what Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Rabbi Zadok said. So it says no. It's directly, still it's not a proof. no. The, the, that's not the point. The point is not to tell you that we don't say Mikudash, Mikudash when we push the Rosh Chodesh off to the 31st day. That's not the point. You can't prove anything from that. What is the Chidush of it The Chidush is that even though everybody saw it and everybody knows that the 30th day is really the right day of Rosh Chodesh, still, if they didn't have a chance to say Mikudash, we push it off to the second day, push it off to the 31st day of the previous month, and we make the previous month now a 30 day month, making the 31st day Rosh Chodesh. That's what we do, even though everyone saw it, even though everyone knows it, that really the 30th day should have been Rosh Chodesh, but since the didn't. Get a chance to say it. It's not tofes. It doesn't come into effect. That's the bottom line. And it's not necessarily a proof for any particular position about when we say Mikudash and when we don't. The Mishnah says, mm-hmm. Rabban Gabriel Rabban Gamliel had different forms of, like, models of a moon. He had it on a table, uh, I'm sorry, on a tablet, like on a board, on the wall that was in his attic. Which show that people were unschooled, people would come to testify about the moon. I would show them these different forms that were on a board or that were on the wall and ask, did you see this? Because I would say, did you see like this? Did you see like this? Some of them would be real. Some of them would be fake. He wanted to see if the person really knew what they were talking about and what they saw in the sky matched up to the uh, diagrams that he had and the picture that he had. Can you do that? It says, you shouldn't make with me. You shouldn't make any imitation of those who serve me, meaning you shouldn't make any kind of depiction, any kind of physical representation of the heavenly bodies. right So uh, how, could, how could he have such a thing in his office like that? The only ones that are prohibited to make are the ones that you could actually make a replica. You can't actually make a sun or a moon. It's only a picture, right? Or it's only a model. but you can, but what you can make is other things. A person should not make a house in the form of the Heichal of the Beit megdash Or a, a sort of a portico that is designed to look like the Ulam, like the, the, the antechamber of the Beit azora, Or a, a yard that looks like the, uh, the courtyard of the Beit HaMegdash. You shouldn't make a Shulchan that looks like the Shulchan of the Beit megdash Or a Menorah that looks like the Menorah of the Beit megdash Aval also... He could make a menorah that has either five, six, or eight branches. But he shouldn't make a seven branch menorah. Even if it's made of other metals that were not gold, even though the Beit was one was made of gold, and, and he's making it out of other metals, he still can't make a seven branch one. Even if he wants to make a wooden one, he shouldn't make a seven-branch wooden menorah, because, uh, that's what the house of Chashmonai came, when the Chashmonaim came back and recaptured the Beth HaMikdash from the Greeks, they didn't have at first a menorah, so they made a makeshift menorah out of wood. That, uh, it's not that they used, um, it's not that they used uh, uh a wooden uh, menorah. they used metal staves that they covered with a type of wood. To make it look a little bit more attractive, they wanted to cover it with uh with baets which according which Rashid says and says inside bidil. They covered it with a um with uh like a a type of a metal. In other words, it was uh with lead, right? So um they didn't... Uh, it wasn't that they used a wooden menorah, really. They actually used a metal menorah, right? Eventually, they got more money. They made them out of silver. They got more money than that. They made them out of gold. So what you see is, according to Abaye, what is that hola that you can't make things that are the things that, are, that serve before God, so to speak? That's talking about items of the Beit HaMikdash, the making them for your own personal use. You shouldn't do that because... It ends up making the uh, it ends up making the uh, you know diminishing the sanctity of those items. But there's no prohibition according to Abaye so far on making the heavenly bodies. But when it comes to th- making things similar to the Bet Hamikdash, making a seven uh, seven branch menorah is prohibited, even if it's made out of a material that is not the material that was used in the Bet Hamikdash. The Chashmonaim, according to Rabbi Yosef Abiyudah, used wooden menorah because uh, you know, according to the first opinion, it was only metal that was prohibited. According to Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, since the Hashmonaim used wood, that's also prohibited. Any material is prohibited. But then the Gemara came back and said, no, it was only metal that they used, even the Hashmonaim. It, they covered over uh, iron bars with tin, and uh, that's how they imitated a minua, but they never used wood. So uh, probably the, uh, the uh, misunderstanding, that uh, the thought that they used wood, but what would be okay, seemingly, according to the other Chachamim, other than Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda to, to use a non metal menorah that has seven branches would be okay. Now, the Gemara goes on, though. Still, is it true that you can make other things that are uh, not real replicas? So the Gemara says, <laughs> and if you can't make something like it, is it really permitted? Don't make that which is with me. Don't make uh, things that are that are similar to the my servants that serve me on high. that's talking about what the says, the four faces of the divine chariot that are described in Echeskel. That's what you can't make, right? So, but but to make the stars and the sun and the moon would be okay, according to Abaye. But if that's true, that the only thing you're not allowed to make is the four faces of the merkavah together, so then a person's face should be okay. Allah why did we learn it? Allah why did we learn it? That you can make any kind of face, but not a representation or replica of the face of a man. That we, from the teachings of Abaye, we learned, we heard, that what is, don't make that which is with me, don't make me. And since we say that... Uh, uh, a human being is made in the image of God, and also Hashem. When He appears to Naviim, they see the image of a person, perhaps talking to them in their dream. So, therefore, uh, it's con- that's considered prohibited—the face of a person. But but sun, moon, stars is okay. So then the Gemara says, "Ushar Shamashi and is it really allowed?" To use the uh, to make replicas of other items that serve God on high. It says in the Bible that you are not allowed to make also any kind of the angels that serve God on high, not just the faces of the uh, chariot, and not just uh, you know, and not just uh, that limited category. But that's only the upper chambers of the heavens. In other words, the malachim that are in the metaphysical realm, you're not allowed to make a replica. But things that are lower than that, you're allowed to. Is that true? Are you allowed to really make replicas of the things that are lower than the angels? When it talks about uh, making idols, the prohibition of making idols in the, in the Ten Commandments, it says you shouldn't make that which is in the heavens, which includes the sun, moon and stars and the constellations. And when it says that's talking about not making any kind of a replica of the angels. That's talking about to serve them, to make idols. Not just to make an artistic replica. But if that's true, then why does it mention sun, moon and stars if it's talking about things that you would make to worship? Because you're not allowed to make anything to worship it. You're right, because then it goes on to say, um, uh, on land, that uh, which includes worshiping mountains and hills and oceans and rivers and uh, springs and valleys. Right? And when it says even that which is most below, below, that means even a tiny worm you're not allowed to make if you're planning on worshiping it. Right? So, but if you're just making it, you're allowed to. And according to Abaye so far, it seems like you'd be allowed to make the moon, sun, and stars as long as you're not making it for worship purposes. really allowed even to make it. It says explicitly, don't make that which is with me. Not, don't make the sun, the moon, the stars, and the constellations. So you see that there's actually a prohibition to make replicas of those items, even if you're not planning to worship them. Shani Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel was different because somebody else made it. He didn't make it. The prohibition is to make it. He didn't make it. He just had it. Uh, so the uh, the uh, he we know a story of Rav Yehuda that even though Rav Yehuda had something that was made by somebody else. Meaning, and we're saying that Rabban Gavdel had a nanju, obviously make these replicas for him, and that Rabi Uda had a ring that was a signet ring. And what it was, was uh, the, um, it had a form in it. And so when you would press it into, into the wax to seal, that's how they used to do it. They would press it into wax and document with their seal. So then uh, uh, then it would make a kind of a, uh, a 3D form. And, uh, and Shmuel said to him, when he saw that he had this ring... He said, "Shinana, You should blind its eyes, meaning you should bl- you should get rid of its form. You should mess up the form of the ring so it doesn't produce any kind of a uh, any kind of an image." Over there, that was different. It was because the because the the seal stuck out, and it was because of suspicion. Because a ring that has an, a protruding seal, you're not allowed to wear it, but you're allowed to sign with it. Because when you sign, you push in. You don't create a 3D image, but you create an impression. All right? If the, uh, if the seal is indented on the ring, so then you can wear it because it's not a 3D image, but you can't seal with it because when you press it into the wax, it's going to create a 3D image. So that was the issue over there. Right, So even though it's true that somebody else might have made the ring for him, the fact is he's wearing it and he's going to use it and that's why it would be a problem. Are we really worried about people being suspicious. There was a famous synagogue of the there was like a statue of the king. Right? And, and we know that Rav and Shmuel and the father of Shmuel and Levi, all these great tzaddikim, went there and prayed there and they were worried. Right. that's different because that's a public sh- situation. Everybody knows it's not someone's private conduct where people are going to start spreading rumors. It's something in the public that everyone's doing. Nobody's going to have any... Everyone knows that you have to let the king leave a statue there for the sake of peace and nobody's going to think otherwise. But now back to Rabbi Gamliel. So how could he keep these moon, sun and stars around that even if somebody else made it for him, he's not supposed to have it around? he might, a, 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 might suspect him of... Uh, of uh, uh, having some idolatrous purpose in keeping these items. The answer is that since he is a Nasi, he was, he was doing this not in his capacity as an individual but in his capacity as the leader of the community that he needed these items in order to validate and authenticate testimony related to the new moon. So since, since the rabim came to him all the time, people were coming to him all the time, he's like a public figure. So it's also like a public thing just like the statue in the shul and therefore we'll be okay. Another possibility is that these different replicas of the sun, moon, and stars were actually made of pieces that were like Lego. You took them apart and put them back together, and therefore it wasn't a genuine replica, and it was only a temporary uh, thing that you would put together, and it wouldn't count as creating a replica. That's another possibility. So we have a possibility, number one, he's a public figure, so whatever he does is public, and we don't have any chashad, we don't have any suspicion. The other one is that since it breaks apart into pieces, it's not considered a real replica, the last thing is we buy them a little med abad The last possibility is that he did it for learning purposes. It says you should not learn from the Gentiles and their religious ways to imitate them to do. But you can learn in order to teach and to instruct. In other words, even idolatry, idolatrous customs, you'd be allowed to learn if you needed to be able to identify what was idolatrous and what wasn't in order to judge cases of idolatry, let's say, because you're doing it for the sake of learning. Here too, you're not allowed to make replicas of the sun, moon, and stars. Um, and uh, the question is, how could Rabban Gamiel do it? Since he's a public figure, maybe that's the reason why it's not so significant because obviously it's not some nefarious plan that he has because it's out in the open and everyone's coming over all the time. Or it could just be that uh, they weren't real replicas. They were a Lego replica type of thing. Or it could be that they were real replicas, but the thing was that his intention was for learning and for teaching and for halachic purposes, Shem Shabbim. And therefore, it wasn't just a personal thing that he wanted to have pictures of the sun, moon, and stars for his own enjoyment, but it had a halachic purpose and a learning purpose, and therefore, it was permitted for Rabbi Gamiel to have those uh, replicas of the sun, moon, and stars.